I know, I know. Everyone's got their own opinion about Saturday, but say what you want to. Personally, I'm not near as beat up about Saturday's loss to LSU as I was last Saturday when we lost to the Liberty Flames. Does this mean I'm okay with losing? Hell no. I don't think anyone should be okay with losing. But at least against LSU, we, we acted like we wanted to be there. We showed fight, toughness, grit. It didn't take us being down double digits to finally wake the hell up and start playing football. All these signs are opposite of a ball club that has quit on the season or quit on their coach because these are things we can actually control. Now, what we can't control is the health of our quarterback. Hawk fans in general just need to chill out because the amount of toxicity I've seen over the last two weeks has been absolutely unnecessary. All this talk on message boards, social media, about firing coaches is flat-out ridiculous. And all it is, it's going to run off coaches, run off recruits, and current players, because they see that stuff. They're on social media. It's kind of hard to run from social media nowadays. You can't actually call yourself a true Arkansas fan if you're already bailing on Sam Pittman, and I will never understand your rationale for it because there's not any logical sense that you can make for it or make for that argument. The three years before Pittman took over, Arkansas was a combined 8-28 and with one SEC win. That was the second dark era in the worst eight-year stretch in program history. So then, his first year, Pittman wins three SEC games in the hardest strength to schedule in the country in an all-SEC season. Next year, in 2021-2022, we win nine games, and now we're 5-5 five and five in year three with a chance to play in the postseason for a third straight year. And y'all want Pittman fired? Really? Really, you want to start this whole thing over again and hope that the next coach works out? Hope that he hires a decent offensive coordinator and offensive coordinator? Seriously, how ridiculous does that sound? You cannot actually rationalize that that thought with me. Y'all want to ask Pittman the same questions that Chad Morris was getting? That's comical because one coach was 2-10 and ten, and the other coach had, has brought our program out of the absolute hell that the 2-10 and ten coach put us in. Just... Overall this season, things have not rolled Arkansas's way. I mean, they really haven't, mainly injuries. Outside of Catalan last year, everyone on the 2021-2022 team was healthy. They really were. That was the only major injury that I can remember or of a significant contributor to the team. Transition to this year, and I swear to God, our trainers are even hurt. Now, sure, if we end the season 5-7, and seven, you can start to question him because you might actually have a point there. And it would make a little sense at that point, but I guarantee you I won't be someone that's questioning him and wanting to fire him already. Is this season not what we thought it would be at this point? No. Am I upset about it? Of course I am. We all are. We're more of a 7-3 and three team right now than 5-5 five and five team, and we're just a few plays away from being 7-3. and three. In total, we're nine points away from it. What could have made that difference? Who knows? An extra rep in the weight room, an extra sprint, extra film study. Who knows? But regardless, in three of our five losses, K.J. Jefferson has missed two of them and was hobbled in another one. The boys haven't let go of the rope just yet, and we're still fighting. I believe in them. With the healthy K.J., we have a great chance to beat Ole Miss. I know it, and you know it.
but we still have a chance to salvage the season, go bowling, win a bowl game, and boom, look at there, you're 8-5. and five. But like I always say, you got to take it one week at a time. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode 13. In this podcast, we provide information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country, top two, not two. Additionally, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting news and updates about professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. One little tidbit I just saw before I get into everything else, Michael Hawkins, who's a four-star dual-threat quarterback, I believe out of Allen, Texas, is visiting this weekend. If somehow the Hogs were to get him, he'd be the biggest or the best quarterback recruit we've had since Ryan Mallett. Just short tidbit. He's back on campus again for the second time. He's got a lot of crystal balls to Oklahoma, but we all know those crystal balls can be subject to change. But, all right, getting into the real stuff. So everyone including myself, has made comparisons with this team to last year's team. It's hard not to because last year exceeded expectations by a country mile. But recently I saw something that really put the last two seasons into into perspective from Dalton Swindell, shout-out lunchtime arguments. In 2021, Arkansas had three games decided by three points or less, and we won two of those games. This season we've had three games decided by three points, and we've lost all three with two of those being where KJ didn't play in a third game where he was playing injured. Like I mentioned earlier, certain things not going our way and injuries have absolutely killed us, and there really isn't that big of a drop-off from last year to this year, as our record shows. Hawk fans just honestly need to be realistic and calm down. If we were a program that won nine games every year for five years and then this happened, sure, then you could start to question the coaches. Now, as far as Saturday... As far as Saturday goes, everyone understands why the coaches went with Cade Fortin against Mississippi State compared to Malik Hornsby, and it's pretty effing clear. Malik Hornsby can run away from Mississippi State defenders. We saw on Saturday that Harold Perkins, a true freshman who had that freaking flu, could run Hornsby down with no problem. And LSU, in general, was just able to match his speed. And that was probably his only advantage he would have brought to the table. Yeah, he's got a big arm, but I don't think he's ready to make a big throw yet. I just don't think he's there talent-wise. We'll get into that in a second. But we should have switched to Fortnite halftime. I mean, we had two completions for 15 yards in the first half through the first 30 minutes of play. I'll get more into my thoughts on that later, but if I feel like a broken record. If KJ's healthy, we 100% win that game, which is why I believe we have a better chance to win on Saturday than people think. Ole Miss rolls into Fayetteville after losing 30-24 to Alabama and Oxford on Saturday where the Rebels had a chance to take the lead late in the game, but they went four and out on Alabama's 25 to end the ball game. It honestly seems like for Arkansas that we can't ever just click on all cylinders in one game in particular. Either our offense is rolling like in the BYU game and our defense can't stop anyone or vice versa like Saturday. Our defense is lights out and our offense can't generate 10 yards for a first down. But at some point, everything has to click. At some point, it does. It's just... I don't. Know, I have a feeling that it's gonna it's gonna be this week. Once everything does click, though, the scoreboard will take care of itself. Home environments mean something in the SEC. The crowd Saturday exceeded any expectations I had for it, and probably the rest of y'all's. But it really helped tremendously against LSU. This Saturday is going to need to be just as effective against the Rebels. It's going to be cold as hell, but we're going to have to show out and be loud. But those in attendance can buckle up. Because we all know the Hogs versus Rebels is always a close contest. Like I said earlier, Arkansas has a better chance to top the Rebels than most fans think. 
excuse me, a new guest is going to tell us the three things that have to happen for the Hawks to do to do so. What those are, I guess we'll find out. All right, so before we hop into the LSU recap, I just want to give everyone an update on any of the rumors that are trans- or that are swirling around the transfer portal, guys leaving, guys not leaving, and just overall just some facts that people need to realize about the transfer portal. And I know a lot of you have heard these rumors about, you know, in quotes, get ready, we're about to have 30-plus guys transfer. And, yeah, some of that is true. There's going to be turnover on every roster at the end of every season. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you 30 guys won't be leaving the program. And from what I've gathered and read, the guys that are leaving are, in quotes, pockets of toxicity. So it sounds like we plan on keeping the guys that we really want and out with the other ones. Personally, if I had to guess, the toxicity is coming from the secondary because I know with Jaden Johnson last year, Jermaine Hamilton Johnson, who now transferred from Arkansas, but apparently there was – a bunch of drama surrounding why Greg Brooks and Joe Fouché left when it actually wound up being the fact that they just want to go home and play for the LSU Tigers when they're from Louisiana. Anyway, you know, recruiting out of high school is still extremely valuable. It really is. But with the transfer portal the way it is now, no one needs to be su- surprised when certain teams lose 40% of the roster. Josh Pate talked to a Power 5 coach who – coaches a good school and he expects 40% of his roster to leave. I know that's a little extreme, but just kind of puts things into perspective because honestly, if these kids nowadays, you never know with NIL the way it is, there's no reg, there's no regulations to it. There's no cap on it. You really don't know what these kids are doing and what they're thinking or what their next move is. The days of developing a kid for three years is slim to none. They're basically gone. If a kid isn't playing by essentially year two, he's gone. Hell, the limit for the transfer additions to a team now is twenty, or it used to be twenty-five. Now there isn't any. So if eighty guys left Arkansas and jumped in the transfer portal, we could have eighty-five new guys from the portal as well. The Hawks got a, about nine to ten guys from the portal last year, and every single one of them is a major contributor to this team. And then you look at a team like LSU. After Ed Orgeron left, they I think they had less than forty scholarship guys left on the roster after everyone transferred. So along with getting a pretty good recruiting class, Brian Kelly added game near 20 transfers. I think it was 17 if we're going by the actual number. Clearly that helped them tremendously in year one because they just won the SEC freaking West. LSU wouldn't be who they are right now if they didn't have the transfers they have. Same with Ole Miss. Ole Miss got about 20 guys via the transfer portal. My point being, all in all, is don't take guys hitting the portal as that they don't get along with the coaching staff as the only rationale for why they left. Yeah, while sure, some of that may be true with certain guys, you just never know with these kids. And best believe we're on the lookout for other guys in the portal as well. Lastly, due to the transfer portal, the art of developing a high school prospect is becoming more and more rare, which is sad to see, but that's just the reality of college football nowadays. All right, recapping the Arkansas Razorbacks, 13-10 to 10 loss to the LSU Tigers on Saturday. First and foremost, Barry Odom is flat-out coaching to stay here. He's coaching for his job, and he's the best version of Barry Odom we've ever seen in the three years he's been here and the best defense we've seen, honestly. I mean, because our defense since the bye week has been absolutely rolling. 
Jaden Daniels for LSU has been on an absolute tear in the SEC this season after the Tennessee loss, and no one's really had an answer for him. I mean, he what? He had six total touchdowns against Florida. I think he had at least three against Alabama. Then against Ole Miss, he at least had three or four. Excuse me, the Arkansas defense held him to less than 100 total yards on Saturday. This team home 42 points on Ole Miss, 32 on Bama, 45 on Florida, and we held them to 13 points and one offensive touchdown. This Arkansas defense at one point played four shutout quarters without allowing a touchdown from the second half of the Liberty game all the way up through the first half of the LSU game. If you told me that a couple weeks ago, I probably would have said the Hogs would have waxed Liberty and would probably have a halftime lead against LSU, but we know that neither of those are true. You have to be able to win football games holding your opponent to 13 points. I don't really care who it is, and especially when that opponent is the seventh-best team in the country and you're catching them asleep, essentially. Barry Odom, let's be honest, dude's been deep in his bag with fries at the bottom when it comes to these blitzes he's been, he's been dialing up because that offensive front for LSU had no idea who to block. They really didn't. We were always getting through, constantly had pressure on Jaden Daniels, we brought more pressure than I've seen all season. It worked to absolute perfection. We sacked LSU eight times, had seven tackles for loss, had two quarterback hurries. I mean, defense was flying around, putting a hat on a hat, being physical. That was a physical brand of football. It was great to see, and that was honestly not the defense I expected to see after the performance we had against Liberty. And also, a quick note, I don't think anyone would be as toxic as they are now if we hadn't lost to Liberty. If we had to beat Liberty and then lost 13-10 LSU, guarantee you none of the firing coach thing would be happening right now. Anyway, moving on. Outside of all the sacks and just disruption in the backfield we've been generating over the last two, three weeks, we're generating turnovers as well, as long or along with producing more tackles for loss. And this is probably the most reckless our defense has been the entire season. I'll tell you what, though, Odom must listen to the podcast. He, he really must listen to it. Because last week all I talked about was how Pooh Paul used to blitz a lot, he used to spy on Jaden Daniels and just send Drew Sanders after Jaden every play. And look what happened. Drew Sanders, 12 tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. Pooh Paul had five tackles, two sacks, two tackles for loss. Bumper played really well. Odom did a, honestly a fantastic job of rotating him and Pooh pretty frequently throughout the game on a lot of blitzing downs is when we would bring Pooh Paul in. Zach Williams got in the sack column. Deshaun Stewart had his best game as a Razorback. He had five tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss. Hudson Clark, dude's a great safety for us. I mean, he just knows exactly where to be at all times. All he needs to do is put on a little bit of weight in this offseason, and he could be a pretty decent safety. But I know we hyped up Quincy McAdoo, Mr. Clarendon from last week. But how did this dude not get recruited more as a defensive back? It leaves you to question how ta- he must be really talented on offense to get recruited as a receiver. I know he might be listed as an athlete, but that dude's a flat-out natural out there at corner. Some of the pass breakups he had, we we were able to run him man-to-man on Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors had one catch. That's the lowest he's had all season. And I don't know if you all saw it, but Odom ran a new look at times Saturday by he'd roll McAdoo over into the safety spot whenever LSU went off balance to one side when they go two tight ends on one side of the field or would line up trips on one side of the field, which led to him making a lot of plays in the run game. That kid's a natural. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be Trayvon Diggs for the Dallas Cowboys, but 
Sometimes you get those guys that come into college as wide receivers that wind up being really, really, really good cornerbacks. That's what Trayvon Diggs was. That's just the first guy I can think of off the top of my head. And I know this guy normally does a lot more bad for us than good. But Simeon Blair had the best defensive play of his Arkansas career on Saturday. When he came up, he came off the edge, stopped the Tigers, running back behind the line of scrimmage on fourth and one late in the game. It was a, what we thought was a massive turning point in the game. Go, go on over to Latavius Brini. He had a fumble, fumble recovery and a nice interception. But I swear to God, this is the Arkansas curse. I swear it is. And it's just been our luck so far this season. On that interception, I mean, there was nobody in between Latavius Brini in the end zone but a quarterback in Jaden Daniels who was falling to the ground. And somehow we trip over him and fall down. I mean, in a perfect world, you pick that pass off and you take it to the apartments. I mean, we're and Donald W's in a daggum frenzy. That was our first possession in the game. Uh, who knows the outcome of the game that happens, honestly. I mean, sure, if you want to go by the final score, it would have been, I, I think we get to field goal that drive, but it would have been 17-13, sure, whatever. I'm not going to play that game. But then you transition to the fumble recovery that Latavius Brini picked up. In a, per, in a perfect world, he just, Picks it up and hits the damn gritty in the end zone. But, you know, what can you do? Overall, this defense is playing lights out right now, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. Odom finally has two corners that he can just run man-to-man. They can man up the boundaries or he can finally load the box and hope to shut down the other team's rushing attack. This is an absolute must, and we need to continue it heading into Saturday and frustrate Jackson Fart and Lane Kiffin as much as we can. As for the offense, uh, this game's on them. Often, the past two games are really on the offense. And I know I defend Browse and I'll always defend him, but with Malik Hornsby at quarterback, you cannot call the same run plays for him that you would for KJ Jefferson. You can't because Malik can't break arm tackles like that. He's about 150 pounds soaking wet. The only, in quotes, runs you call for him need to be read options or just design, design pass plays that you can take off and run on. But we all saw it. We all did. Malik was just overwhelmed on Saturday. He looked like he wasn't ready. And to be frank, I don't think he's an SC caliber quarterback. That guy has so much raw ability. I mean, he got to the SEC on just talent and ability alone. We don't know what his ceiling is, and we might not ever see it at quarterback. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to stand in the pocket, let receivers get open, let a play develop, make a throw, and take a hit while doing it. KJ Jefferson does it. All the time. Cade Fortin shows he can do it. Ever he'd sit in there and took a shot when he threw that touchdown to Matt Landers. And while most people think Malik Hornsby's probably going to transfer, in my opinion, it's his best interest not to. Because we're the main reason why is because I think, you know, you and I can see it. It's not that hard to see. He's got breathtaking speed. He really does. He's got speed you can't teach. He's got speed that might help you make millions of dollars and play on Sundays. I say all of this to say that he stays at Arkan- if he stays at Arkansas, he's got to make a position change, and he's got to go to wide receiver. That speed ain't going anywhere, but put some weight on, pause some routes, work on creating leverage. He could be a nice receiver if he fully commits to it because you hit the portal after this, he ain't going to a Power 5 school at quarterback. I can guarantee you that much. And Saturday just solidified it. <laughs> As for the rest of our quarterback room, we got some serious work to do in the transfer portal. Because there's just an absolute colossal drop-off after KJ. 
Take Liberty, for example. They were missing their top two quarterbacks and third string came in, didn't miss a damn beat. Then go to 2020 when Felipe Franks was our starting quarterback and KJ was backing him up. We had to throw KJ in against Mizzou. We scored 52 points on offense. That game 100% was not on KJ. I say it every week. I really do, but thank God for Jaden Hazelwood and Matt Landers. God, those dudes are so good for us. Another reason why the transfer portal is so valuable. Landers has been on an absolute tear since the BYU game, and I think he could also have another big impact on Saturday. And same with Hazelwood. There isn't a team who's been able to cover him, and I think he's had at least five to six catches every game he's played this season, uh, except for the Mississippi State game, and he had three catches for 110 yards. Now for our coach's worst decision of the game. I think we all know what I'm about to talk about. It's going forward on fourth and goal from the three. We are playing against the seventh best team in the country and have the opportunity to turn their second straight turnover into sure points. Take the points. Cam Little is automatic. And I know, I know, if we score there, we look like absolute geniuses and we got, you know, big old huevos and no one says a word. So it's easy to say we should have done this, we should have done that, but... You have to be able to capitalize, turn their turnovers into points any way you can. Fast forward to the third quarter. This was, oh, my God, this was really the most frustrating one. Rolling the dice, going forward on fourth down on fourth and two from midfield. I know your defense is playing well. I know we're playing lights out. But first off, we're not a team that goes forward on fourth down a lot, and especially when our starting quarterback isn't playing. But secondly, if you're going to go forward on fourth down, what the hell was that play call? What the hell was it? Thirdly, what is the rationale to go for it there? With a the backup quarterback in the game, we're playing the field position game at that point, and we paid the price for it because five plays later, LSU was in the end zone for their only score of the damn contest. All in all, this is just another example of where a team doesn't put put it all together entirely as a team. But that game is bound to happen one of these next two games, and I believe it happens this Saturday. I just have a feeling. I don't know why and especially if QB1 is 100%. On Saturday, this is just me speculating, but I see a frustration relieving game for us. Ole Miss is going to be down after its close loss to Bama. It's going to be extremely cold again. Our team looks hungry. It's senior day, but call me crazy. I believe the Hawks can win big this week. I'm not talking 30 to nothing like in 2014, but a dominance game in that fashion. I already know what it is. We got another one, boy. ATL. Just yeah. throw it in the bag. Alrighty, mailbag Q&A. Love this segment. I moved it up in the episode because I want more people to hear it. What's wrong with KJ? Uh, it seems to be the big question mark from everyone. I saw a video of him yesterday. He looks like he's throwing pretty well in practice. But I believe it's a bruised clavicle, what he's been dealing with on his throwing shoulder. I got there a little bit early. On Saturday, and was able to watch him throw a little bit, and he was just a, a scratch. All in all, I know he was dressed out, but I mean, he 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 was hurt. He he couldn't throw a pass without his right shoulder hurting. But he's got to play these next two games. There's no sitting out. You know, he's got to play these next two. We have to win one of the next two to go bowling. We have to. So whether he's hurt or not, we're, he's playing Saturday. I can guarantee you that much. But for what I can gather, it's a right clavicle bruise. I don't know how he hurt it. I don't remember it looking hurt in the BYU game. I don't remember it looking hurt in the Auburn game. Or, yeah, in the Auburn game. And then 
Apparently the day before the or the morning of the Liberty game, it's magically hurt. I don't know. It might just be a lingering thing. I mean, he's a big guy. Takes a lot of hits. Shit adds up. But all right, record prediction for the remaining two games. I know I'm more positive than everyone else, but we're going two and zero these last two games. We win. Yeah, yeah, we're going two and zero these last two games. I think Saturday is going to be a big game. First SEC night game we've had. In two to three years, I think the last ACC night game we had was against Tennessee in 2020. Let's see. How will our secondary hold up versus a good passing offense? Our secondary played well against LSU. They're a better throwing team than Ole Miss is, statistically speaking. Jade Daniels is a better throw of the football than Jackson Dart, in my opinion. Um, with Quincy McAdoo kind of filling that other corner spot, it makes you feel a lot better about the secondary. The only hole we have, we all know the hole, and it's Simeon freaking Blair. Hopefully, Miles Slusher coming back can help with that. I know they might not play the same position, but by God, I just don't want to see 15 on the field and especially having to cover anyone in man-to-man defense because some of the guys he's going to have to be lined up on if we do stack the box are very talented receivers who we'll talk about in a little bit. But our secondary and how they do will also be aided by how well our pass rush is. That's one thing a lot of people don't think about when it comes to how effective a defensive line is if – you know, your D-line can't get any penetration, then your D-backs are having to cover wide receivers for much longer than they're normally having to cover receivers for. So if we bring pressure, able to able to make Dart escape the pocket or flush him out of the pocket is a better phrase for it, then I think we'll be okay in the secondary. But just got to keep everything in front of us, not give up the big plays, and I think we'll be okay. Ole Miss is going to try to hurt, hurt us on the ground more so than they are through the air because – Watching the second half of the Auburn-Ole Miss game and second half of other games, Lane doesn't like to have Dart throw the ball in the second half. He really doesn't. He'll run a lot of scripted plays with them because Dart's got a big arm. He can throw it. But I really think that they're going to try to do most of their damage on the ground. But score prediction for this weekend. I know I said the game or we were going to win in a dominant fashion earlier. Let's see. I think the score to the game on Saturday, if KJ Jefferson is 100% healthy, is going to be – 34-28 Arkansas. 34-28 Arkansas. I know it's not domination. Doesn't sound like it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we win by more. But realistically speaking, I think that's what the score is going to be. 34-28 if KJ Jefferson plays. Uh, what would have to happen for Pitt to end up on the hot seat? I don't think Pittman would ever end up on the hot seat until midway through next year in the absolute worst-case scenario. That being said, if for some reason we lose out this season, lose, what would that be? I would lose four in a row to end the season. If we lost four in a row to end the season and then we just started out terribly next year, and you know, that would be the only reason or scenario where I could see Pittman being on the hot seat. But being a more positive Arkansas fan than I am, I'm never going to – you know, immediately call for a guy's head, but I understand when it's time for a coach to go. And if we lose out and, you know, we start out next season not playing very well and there's just not a lot of positive momentum, I mean, it's it's inevitable. Pittman's either going to get fired one day or he's going to retire. He's, he doesn't have another job in mind after this. But to answer your question all in all, if we lose out this season, then say we start like – or we're sitting at like two and five at some point, start the first seven games next year, then yeah, he's on the hot seat. And – Hell, at that point, he might be gone. I don't know. What is your check's first order business for Hawk football if we lose out? Everyone assumes we're going to lose out. I'm tired of it. Anyway, um, 
I know you didn't mean it that way, Lyles. But first order of business, none of the coordinators would go, and Pittman would not go as well. It would start with the position coaches. That would be the first order of business. And I guarantee you people are going to come after Kendall Browse this offseason. I guarantee you because he's shown that he's a pretty damn good offensive coordinator. People are going to try to come get him. I don't know what head co- head coaching jobs he's really up to par for. But – and I don't really know if Arkansas offensive coordinator or the Arkansas co- offensive coordinator position is a stepping stone job for a higher offensive coordinator position. I don't think that's the case. Uh, it just comes down to if he wants a head coaching job or not relatively soon. And I know he's got two young girls, so who knows. But some people on the message boards believe – him and Geitner gone at the end of the season. I don't believe that. I believe it when I see it. I believe <clears throat> Pittman's going to do everything in his power to keep him. And I don't know if there's a rift there between the two. I don't think there is. Um, but if there's a rift between any of the head, if between any of the coordinators and the head hog, it's probably with KB and Pittman. But I'm just speculating. So first order of business is going to be if we lose out to to get rid of some of the position coaches and get new ones. What do I think about the CBS latest bowl prediction, Iowa versus Arkansas in the Music City Bowl? I believe that bowl's in Nashville, and I believe it's on New Year's Eve. That would be sick, honestly. Iowa versus Arkansas. Iowa versus Arkansas. Man, that'd be fun. I went to an Iowa game last year, saw them play Penn State. Uh, we stormed the field. Iowa beat Penn State, I believe. Iowa's fifth-best team in the country, and Penn State was three. That was Hell of an atmosphere is really cool waving to the kids in the in the hospital but say it's a cool tradition. But that game would probably be really low scoring because Iowa's offense sucks and Iowa's defense is really, really good. And while our defense is coming along or our offense is a lot better than theirs. I don't know. I think Arkansas would win, but that'd be a fun game to go to regardless. I just want us to win one more one more game to even think about going to the bowl, but that's just who I am as a person. Um where's our rushing attack gone? Panyard, I don't know. I really don't know. It's been absolutely non-existent the past two games. And if we want to beat Ole Miss, we have to have a running game. We have to. I mean, Quitshawn Jenkins, Ole Miss's running back, who we're going to talk about a little bit, I believe is he leads the SEC in rushing yards. And he has like 30 more carries than Rocket, and they're only separated by like 30 yards. So Rocket, I mean, he's been non-existent last two games. That's not to blame him for. Our offensive line's got to wake up because – our running back's just as good as our offensive line is. So, I don't know. Uh, Dalton Weiner being hurt didn't help. Bo Wimmer's been getting beat a lot. Uh, honestly, Ricky Stromberg has two. Left side of the line's been good. Can't ask for much more of Luke Jones and Brady Latham. Or which one's over there? It's either Brady or Bo. I forgot. But O-line's got to play well for for this rushing attack to work. And I, uh, I think they bounce back this week. I, I really do. It'll be a battle between Rocket Sanders and Jenkins as to who's or Jutkins as to who's the best, not best running back in the SEC, but statistically the rushing leader. <clears throat> this isn't a question, just a statement. It is time to burn the program down. Pack, I don't think so. Not quite yet. It's not time to burn the program down. But yeah, no, it's not time to burn the program down. Last question. Actually, it's not even a question. Someone was going to troll me about the LSU game. But they respect me doing the podcast too much, so I'm good to go. Okay, well, appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you can troll me all you want to. I don't really care. That's fine. You know, it's not like LSU beat us by 40. Y'all almost let a second and third string quarterback beat you, but it's whatever.
to the football, forced the short throw, invited them to run. Fourth and 17. That one is intercepted again. Hudson Clark's got another one. He's got a hat trick. That's the lot of attention. Take of the He's got some. All right, previewing the Arkansas Razorbacks matchup, final home matchup of the season, senior night against the Ole Miss Rebels. Before we get into it, uh, recording this on a Tuesday, news just broke that Warren Thompson is no longer with the program. He left the he cleaned out his locker today and left. I just found that out literally five minutes ago. Um, that could be a sign of things to come for some guys. And rumor has it there might be more coming within the next two weeks. But, you know, it's the end of the season. Part of that's going to happen. Uh, one thing that does concern me, and I could just be thinking too far into it, is that Warren Thompson was one of Kendall Browse's guys that Kendall Browse brought here and really vouched for when he left Florida State. So, I don't know. That's not a sign that KB's leaving by any means. But Warren was good for us last year, but he got beat out this year. He doesn't have the most sure of hands. He really didn't improve from last year to this year. So, I wish him the best of luck wherever he goes, but... Uh, Keyshawn Jackson's a better player and he deserves to get more looks. So, anyway, going into it, both Ole Miss and Arkansas will match up in Fayetteville off really, really close losses. And we all know the matchup between these two teams is nothing but fireworks. We've lost – Hogs have lost two straight. Ole Miss has lost two of their last three. Obviously, both teams are in very much different situations. But this game is never not close. The line is set at Ole Miss minus two, but the Hogs are – Honestly, going to have to play extremely efficient and flawless football to come out on top. Saturday is the trilogy bout between Pittman and Lane Kiffin, who a lot of people don't know he's interviewed twice for the Arkansas head coach's job at Arkansas. Pittman won 33-21 to 21 in 2020 after he picked off Matt Corral six times. And Ole Miss edged out Arkansas last year 52-51 to 51 in Oxford when the Hawks failed a two-point conversion to win the game as time expired. Honestly, neither teams could stop each other last year's pretty exciting game. This matchup in general is just always exciting. With the red and blue corner always trading blows throughout the course of 60 minutes. But now the stage is set for this SEC West trilogy. Saturday night, prime time, under the lights in Donald W., cold weather, mid-November. What else can you ask for, really? That's football weather. That's the definition of football when I think about it. As for who the Hogs need to look for on Saturday night, let's take a dive into it. <clears throat> the Black Bear Rebel Land Sharks are led by USC transfer Jackson Dart at quarterback, who commands an up-tempo offense. They average around 36 points per game. He's got the stupidest eye black design I've ever seen. Um, former Trojans thrown for 2,123 yards a season on 150 of 247 passing, which is right at 60%. And he's thrown 15 touchdowns to seven interceptions. He's only been sacked nine times all season. Mr. Fart has also run 96 times for 508 yards, but no scores. He does have the ability to hurt defenses both through the air and with his feet, but after watching Ole Miss games, uh, kind of how I touched on earlier, Kiffin does not like to throw the ball near as much with Dart as quarterback as he has with pass quarterbacks, mainly being Matt Corral. And yes, Matt Corral's a better thrower of the football than Jackson Dart, but Jackson Dart struggles with accuracy on mid-range throws, like the 8- to 15-yard range. He's a really good deep ball thrower, um, really good at throwing the ball sideline to sideline, but in terms of that middle of the field, 
or in terms of those middle of the field throws, uh, he struggles a little bit with accuracy. Excuse me, the Rebels have a running back committee they operate by with Zach Evans and Quitshawn Jenkins, but Zach Evans has been hurt, and Quitshawn has kind of taken over the roles of bell cow. He's a true freshman, which is very, very impressive. He's from Alabama, wasn't recruited by Alabama or Auburn. He's run 205 times for 1,171 yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, you watch anyone watch the Alabama game on Saturday? This dude doesn't run like a freshman. He's got great vision, runs very, very hard. He's very physical. He has the ability to make defend, defenders miss in space. Kind of has a Le'Veon Bell type to him, and that he's really patient. Let's the run develop in front of him before he hits the hole. We just got to wrap up or else he's going to run all over us. He doesn't go down on initial contact, so we got to fly to the football. Him and Rocket are far and away the two best running backs in the SEC. I'd say the third or the next tier below them is Tank Bigsby and Devon Chain, but it's those two at the top. So it'll be fun to see the two youngsters go at it. As for Zach Evans, you know, one time he was number one recruit in the country. He was he's extremely, extremely talented, but he's had a knee injury that's kind of been lingering all year. He's run 114 times for 692 yards and seven scores. Well, like I've touched on, this is where Ole Miss does most of their damage and how successful they are running the football. Ultimately, determines how easy and well they'll be able to throw the ball. You know, similar to how we dialed it up for Auburn and LSU's rushing attack, we're gonna have to do the absolute same on Saturday. Load the box, man the corner spots, disrupt this rushing attack. If we're able to do that, we'll have a great chance of winning the football game. Receiving-wise, Ole Miss really only has three main targets they throw the football to as they make up probably well over 70% of their completions this season. Senior Jonathan Mingo, he's got 37 catches, 723 yards, almost 20 yards per catch, and five touchdowns. 6'2", 225-pound receiver, big-body kid, big physical athlete. They love to get the ball to him vertically. Uh, and the deep ball really is the only ball I've seen Jackson Dart be able to throw consistently. Uh, another thing about Jonathan Mingo, he's a great run blocker as well. He blocks real on the edge. Malik Heath, he's also a senior. He's got 38 catches, 614 yards, about 16 yards per catch, and three touchdowns. Uh, another big body receiver, 6'3", 215. He had a solid showing against Alabama. I think he had over 100 yards receiving. Leads the teams and catches, or he leads the team in catches and targets. He's Jackson Dart's. Pro, eh, I mean, him, Mingo, and Heath are, are probably one A and one B when it comes to Dart's favorite target. But I don't know what it is. Ole Miss has always got these big old six two, six three, two hundred fifteen plus pound receivers. <clears throat> then lastly, you got Junior Jordan Watkins. He's got twenty four catches, three hundred thirty five yards, fourteen yards per catch, and one score. They like to use him on swing routes. Bubble screens. Um, they mainly just like to get him the ball in space. They'll bring him in motion. Yeah, they'll, they'll bring him in motion from one side of the field to the other. Said Hut, either fake a handoff to him or fake a handoff to Juckins and throw a swing right out to him. It's mainly to beat man to man so you can switch on him. But all in all, this is a very experienced group of wide receivers with two juniors and one or two seniors and one junior. They love to stretch the field, catch the ball in space. Mingo and Heath are their main two options, and they Really only get involved depending on how much the rushing attack opens up the pass. Their yard per catch average, I mean, it speaks for themselves. I mean, when it's pretty clear when Ole Miss hits the air, they're looking for big plays. As for their offensive line group, this is going to be one of the most impressive offensive lines our front seven has faced all season. <clears throat> I mean, they've given up nine sacks all season. We're in game 11. 
So they've they've gone a game this year that giving up a set. It's pretty impressive. They run block extremely well. They block very well in trap schemes. It's going to be interesting to see how well our front seven does against an offensive line group that's this experienced. Barry is going to have to dial up his blitzes and bluffs, confuse his O-line group for Ole Miss as much as possible, create penetration any way he can. If we can replicate the same amount of production from our defensive line against Ole Miss that we did against LSU, then we really can disrupt their offense and throw it out of sorts. Ole Miss is very, very good at tempo. They're very good at tempo. They're also great at faking freaking injuries, but that doesn't matter talking about their offense. They love to run up tempo. If they're able to gain five or six yards on the first play, they're going to line up quickly and run the same play. It's either going to be, it's going to be an RPO. So we've talked about the RPO. Either Dart's going to read the the closest end to him. If the end stays there, he's going to give it to Juckins. If if he crashes on him, he's going to pull it and run, <clears throat> or he's going to pull it and throw a slant route or a screen or a spot route. Another tidbit about this offense is that Lane is one of the best in terms of scripted drives. So Ole Miss is probably going to look their best offensively in the first two to three drives of the game. How do you combat that? Penetrate their line of scrimmage. Defensively, Ole Miss defenses have never really scared me, but this is a front seven that's very, very good at getting to the quarterback. They have 28 sacks on the season, far better than the past two front sevens we played against. So as a whole, our offensive line has got to straighten shit up. I mean, they really do. It starts with Dalton Widener getting healthy because Tyke Crawford was getting abused the other day. It wasn't like they were ripping him or swimming him, bull rushing him. They were just running right around him. Our rushing attack's been completely absent, as Mr. Pena brought up since the Auburn game. I mean, it really has. It's been completely taken away from us. And Ole Miss is going to do the exact same thing. They're going to try to take the run game away from us. If we want a chance to win Saturday, Rockets got to get rolling. There's no chance we beat Ole Miss or really anyone averaging 2.4 yards of carry. This defense also has six interceptions on the year and eight fumble recoveries, so they don't force a ton of takeaways. But we don't need to make it any easier for them by putting the ball on the ground when we don't need to or making dumb throws. Last year, KJ had his best performance as a hog against this defense. I think he accounted for six touchdowns, like 400 – shoot, I don't know. It was over 500 yards total offense. And I know Mr. Sardis himself wants to make a – statement against any, any Mississippi school he can, and he didn't get the chance to against Mississippi State. When K.J. Jefferson's healthy, Arkansas averages 37 points per game and 495 yards total offense. When he's not, we average 15 points per contest and 383 yards total offense. Also, when he's healthy, we have one of the best offenses in the SEC, ranking fourth in scoring, third in yards per game when he's healthy. Give K.J. a little bit of time to throw the football, allow our playmakers to make some plays, they're going to take a page out of LSU's book and load the box, make KJ beat him through the air, and I hope we can fix our mistakes from Saturday because if we don't, then Ole Miss front seven is going to absolutely feast on us. All in all, Saturday night, we we have to play a complete game of football on both sides of the ball. We have to if we want to get back in the win column. It's an absolute must. It's going to be the coldest home game since 1991. I don't think Ole Miss is going to have the best spirit coming into town or be as motivated as beforehand. I mean, on our end, it's senior day. We dropped three straight home games. These seniors ain't going out with an L. They ain't going out sad. They want to leave it all out there for what may be their final guaranteed home collegiate football game to ever play in. This matchup's got all the, ingredient, all the ingredients of a team that was just eliminated from SEC West contention to flat out lay down. Now, for some of the ways the Hawks can get it done, that's something we'll get to later. Century. Um, early on in the season, so you get to get the really test yourself. Trevin Brazil will flush again, 16 for the Mizzou transfer. 
Yoder just scored for the Bison. That's a wild shot by Hostreiter that's off the mark. A little bit of a ragged stretch. But there's Council again! The reverse slam from Ricky Council! <laughs> Highlight reel tonight for Ricky Council. All right, talking hog hoops. Recapping the Fordham game. Basketball season is officially upon us. And at least some fans can look to hog basketball for some comfort as the Hogs are back in action in Bud Walton Arena this past Friday night before the LSU football game against the Fordham Rams where the Hogs handled them easily, 74-48. to <clears throat> Hogs didn't have Nick Smith Jr. again, and to be completely honest, I'm not sure when we're going to have him. I know he's been tweeting that it'll be sooner rather than later, but I'm predicting we don't have him until after the Maui Invitational. We don't need to rush that kid back. We got the rest of the season to be prepared for, and he's got a long NBA career to think about. But that's just a sheer guess, all speculation. Hogs are 2-0 for the fourth straight year in a must. After watching the game, highlights, research, here's some of my takeaways from the game, followed by my report card. First takeaway, straps. Reach to your right, grab the seatbelt, strap it on. For those who don't know that term, it just means to put the straps on Fordham's offense. In other words, we play great defense. Hogs are down 7-2 to start the contest, but defense flipped the switch, helped us generate a run that I think we extended out to 19 at one point at, with just over three minutes left in the first 20 minutes of play. Hogs were absolutely smothering on the defensive end, making Fordham very uncomfortable. He forced 20 turnovers in the first half, picked their pocket 11 times in the first half. We turned that to 22 points on their other end. And outside of turning them over, their offense was just all over the place. It was way out of sync. They couldn't get into an action. They wound up doing more dribbling than moving the basketball. They just pounding the air out of the ball, which straight up forced them out of the game. It's what their defense needs to do all season. They went scores from the field for almost eight straight minutes in the first half. A.B., R.C. Four, Devo, and Mackay all had more than one steal in the first half. Hawks forced a total of 30 turnovers in the game. It's the most of the game since 2004. And I don't care who you are or who you're playing, that's flat-out impressive. Our offense is still a work in progress, especially in the first half. That's my second takeaway. Even though we turned Fordham 20 time, or turned them over 20 times in the first 20 minutes of the game, we're only up 11 at the break. I know it's 11, but that's a little bit concerning. You think you turn a team over 20 times in 20 minutes of play, you're going to be up by more than 11. But Fordham did what a lot of teams are going to do to us this season. I mean, they zoned us. They packed the middle. If we can't pose a threat beyond the arc, um, that's going to be the way a lot of teams are going to guard us. We were 2 of 12 in the first half from beyond the arc. That's going to be a continual work in progress as the season progresses in general. We all know it. The Hawks did found success, though, attacking the rim, which is going to be the case a lot of the season. We're a very, very long athletic team. We're a slashing team. We find more success at the rim. We're very successful on the offensive glass. We had nine offensive boards, turned them into nine points. On the downside, though, we had nine turnovers in the first half to six assists. Altogether, offensively, our spacing just needs some work. Too many times I feel like I saw we were either driving on top of each other, just clogging the paint, making making it more packed than it already is. That essentially forces the defense into zoning us even when they're in man. But honestly, spacing out an offense is relatively easy to do. As for the third takeaway, closing out strong. Hawks put away in the second half after we made a couple adjustments at halftime, and we just played consistent basketball on both ends of the four for the final 20 minutes. Defensively, was pretty consistent the whole game, which overwhelmed them. We limited we limited them to 4-14 to start the half, 10 more turnovers in the second half. 
They had 13 more turnovers than made field goals and 23 more turnovers than assists. Defensively, you can't ask for much more. You really can't. You're going to win a lot of ball games doing that. We took better shots and emphasized getting into the teeth of the defense, took some high-percentage looks, and which helped us come out shooting 9-14 in the second half with seven assists to four turnovers and built a 58-35 to lead going to the 8-100 timeout. When it was all said and done, Arkansas had 42 points in the second half on 55% shooting from the field. And a lot – maybe not a lot of this, but some of this was an adjustment that must made. He moved two players into the dunker spot. So Arkansas, when we did get into the teeth of the defense, could drop it off to these dunkers, drop it off to them, throw lobs, led to some easy finishes. Now for the fourth point, star defense comes in bunches. Now what that – you know, it might not make a whole lot of sense, but after the North Dakota State game, must really emphasize that we need to do a better job of defending the other team's best player. So the Hogs really put an emphasis on that this week, and we're able to do that by throwing more than one defender at them, similar to how the Dream Team did to Tony Kukoc back in the Olympics. Just swarming defense in bunches. Fordham's best player was Darius Quisenberry. He's got a lot of accolades, has 1,600 points to his name. A.B. started out on him but drew a foul, so Devo took over from there, put the straps on him. Quisenberry was bottled up the whole first half, and we got off two shots. He was all of two. I think he had three points all of them were from the foul line, though. He was 3 of 5 from the foul line. He had three turnovers. Go to the second half. We did the same thing. He finished with eight points on 2 of 10 shooting from the field. Before we get to the report guard, even though the three balls aren't falling yet for these youngins, I, I don't want them to lose confidence in taking them. Just let it fly. These shots are going to start to fall eventually, and not being afraid or hesitant to shoot one from deep, even when the defense wants you to, can definitely get in someone's head because, trust me, I would know. The more shots these guys get up, the more muscle memory they build and the more confidence they have to let it fly when the lights come on. Now, after that being said, let's get in the report card from Friday night's matchup. Once again, this is not a player-to-player comparison. It's solely <clears throat> it's solely a grade based off of how each player impacted the game, and we only touch on guys who played solid minutes. First off, Ricky Council. Stat line, 15 points, 5 of 12 shooting, 1 of 3 from 3, 4 of 4 from the foul line. Seven dimes, four boards, two turnovers, two steals, plus 23 in 37 minutes. This dude's on the damn chancellor's list. RC4 is hooping. Led the Hawks in scoring for the second straight game. He's showing his ability to score beyond the arc, mid-range, and we all know that dude can finish at the rim. Rock the baby to sleep with that cradle dunk the other night. And What I like is that Muss is starting to trust him more and more. He gives him the ball, lets him go ISO. What I'm most impressed about are seven assists. He has some nice nice dimes, had some nice drop-off passes, looked pretty good in the pick and roll. Next, we got Jordan Walsh up to an A-minus from a C-plus last week, I think I gave him. Stat line, it was 12 points, 5-7 shooting, 2-3 from the charity stripe, had four boards, one assist, one turnover, plus 14 in 21 minutes. Worked pretty well in the dunker spot. He really showcased his versatility Friday night, and he's got a lot more in the tank. He's got a quick memory. They essentially gave him the Ben Simmons treatment by letting him shoot threes. Fordham did. Even though he missed, it didn't stop his aggression at all. He was still aggressive attacking the rim, had some tough finishes, looked very good in the mid-range, and was extremely efficient in the short corner, either hitting floaters, mid-range jumpers, attacking the rim, drawing defenders, dumping it off, things of that nature. I'm really excited to watch him grow and develop more and more. Now, Makai Mitchell, I've been telling y'all this for a while. A minus. Hop on the bandwagon now. Eight points, four seven shooting, four boards, three steals, two assists, 
plus 16 in 25 minutes. I'm telling you right now, hop on the bandwagon. This is the last warnings filling up. Dude's got great energy both ends of the floor. He really does. He's diving all over the place for loop balls. He leads our team in steals. I mean, he's got six on the year. It's, he's got really quick hands, can swipe it away from bigs. He can even he can also, you know, maybe pit pocket a guard if they leave it out in front of him. He's just very, very versatile, more versatile than I thought. He can guard the post pretty well, as well as forwards in the high posts. He's got some nice back to the basket moves as well. <clears throat> I think it's safe to say that Makai is locking down the center spot. Jalen Graham, stat line, 10 points, three boards, one assist, one turnover, plus five at 11 minutes. And, yeah, you know, we didn't hear his name called last week, and especially after abysmal showing in Austin. But I have a feeling this guy's going to be like this all year. He's either going to be hit or miss. And he had a – yeah, we didn't see him at all in the opener against North Coast State. In this game, he really didn't hear his name called into the second half, but he made the most of his chance, averaged nearly a point a minute. He's got great footwork and finished really well. He's got great touch. Still needs to work on the defensive end of the floor, but – uh, he did well enough to earn a solid grade. Production from him is going to be key this season. TB2, B+, plus, eight points, eight boards, one assist, one block, one steal, two turnovers, plus 32 in 32 minutes of action. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know whether he's going to start or not. Um, obviously, he's going to get a lot of minutes, but if he doesn't, dude's got six man of the year in the bag. He really does. Yeah, sure, he didn't light up the scoreboard, but he still led our team in plus-minus. And he damn near had a double-double. I mean, for Christ's sake, the brother hit his elbow on a rim from a, on a oop. His elbow. It's crazy. It means he's – God, that's wild hitting your damn elbow on the rim. I think it's more impressive hitting your head on the rim, but that could be a hot take. I don't know. Defensively, he did a great job of running guys off screens as well. <clears throat> Debo, B, seven points, three of 12 shooting, three boards, five assists, three steals, one turnover, plus 13 in 29 minutes. Devo is the complete opposite of what he was Monday. On Monday, he turned the ball over a lot, but he scored 18 points. But on Friday night, he couldn't buy a bucket, but he flipped the script in terms of his assist-to-turnover ratio. He's going to have to be a consistent scorer if this team wants to make any type of a big run. He's going to have a big impact in all areas of the game. We all know he can. He does a lot of the little things right, but his production is very, very vital to the, to the success of this team, and he's going to have to score some points for us this year. Lastly, A-B. I know last week it was A-B-C. This week it's also A-B-C. His stat line's 10 points, 3 of 8 shooting, 6 boards, 2 steals, 0 assists, 4 turnovers, plus 15 and 25 minutes of action. It's 2.0 grain average, or 2.0 GPA for A-B ain't going to cut it. I know it's two games into the season, I'm just joking, but he got off to a pretty rough start. Drew an offensive foul, turned it over, got scored on twice, and air ball to three in the first five possessions of the game. You can only really go up from there, honestly. But he did that to an extent. He had a three, finished off a turnover with a nice flush in the first half. But attempting six threes is too many, as our four turnovers and zero assists from the point guard spot is not an ideal number. All in all, it's another great showing by Muss and the crew. They've already approved vastly since the Austin showing. But they got another test this Wednesday. They play South Dakota State. South Dakota State comes to town, plays in Bud Walton. They were 30-5 and five last season, made the NCAA tournament. From there, we head to Maui. Keys to victory for the Razorbacks trilogy battle against the top 15-ranked Ole Miss Rebels. The keys to victory are brought to you by the real Tyson. I ain't talking about John Randall. It's Mr. Hit That Line. 
Mr. Ty Richardson, the biggest name mentioned on the show to date. I appreciate Tyson taking time out of his day to bless us with some of his wisdom on how he believes the Hawks can get it done this weekend. Really appreciate Peyton allowing me to give my take on the number one Arkansas Razorbacks podcast views on the Hill. Peyton, I would say number one key for me starting out is getting the same amount of pressure you did on Jaden Daniels on Jackson Dart Saturday night. Daniels didn't know where to go. He was wondering who's going to hit me next. Now, Ole Miss has a better offense than LSU, and they have more weapons. Can you stone Dart, can you put him under constant duress to make him comfortable, uncomfortable throughout Saturday night? Number two, getting KJ back, how the offense gets back in flow. He's not going to be 100% healthy. I'm hoping he's more healthy than he was in the Liberty game, but getting the offense back in sync is a key part for me. And then part of that is just kind of an extra layer. It's the offensive line, two straight poorest games for what many described as the Joe Moore Award type of equivalent offensive line, given the best offensive line in college football. Don't know about Dalton Wagner just yet. We'll see if he comes back, but hopefully they can have a better performance against Ole Miss than they did in the previous two games. Payton, those would be my three keys to the game. All righty. Well, after Mr. Tyson blessed us with his keys to victory, that wraps up this week's episode of Views from the Hill. Once again, I appreciate all the love and support you guys have given the podcast. It's made this journey a lot of fun. I really appreciate all you guys interacting with the podcast and different ideas on social media and stuff. I really do appreciate it. We're closing in and very, very close to a 1,000 listens on the pod. So whenever you go listen on Spotify, please give it a good review, preferably a five-star. Now for the main question. Let's get it done Saturday. Hopefully that's the case. We'll tell. Next time I see you guys, Hogs are bowl eligible, back in the win column, heading into the Columbia.